turn with me to Romans chapter 10. And a lot of what we just sang, I want to ask you a question. What do you need from the Lord? Really try to hone in on that. What is it you need from God today? What's your greatest need? I wonder if anybody in here right now, as they were singing that, or maybe you couldn't even sing it, you were just listening, and you are there. You say, I, I'm already a Christian, but I'm broken. I need mended. I wonder if anybody here is like, I am just so empty. Someone may be here today saying, I am like a dead man walking. I am so dry. I just want to be filled. What if anybody here this morning would say, God, I am so guilty, I need pardoned. I found this to be true. That song is absolutely true. Every time I go to the Lord, He always has what I need, and He always welcomes me with open arms. Every time. As you're in Romans 10, I'm going to make a quick, uh, a quick practical observation. And somebody is validating what I was feeling there, and it's in the physical realm. We're going to be in the spiritual realm, hopefully. I think it's a little warm in here. Does anybody else feel like it's warm in here? Uh, I don't know who... Does anybody know how to bump this? I think it's over here. Tim's going to do that. Bump us down. Now, somebody in here is cold. Bless your heart. If you're cold, those around them, if you do not have a cold or the flu bug on your clothes, pile your clothes on and around them so that we can cool off and they stay plenty warm, all right? Because uh, I know what's going to happen. Y'all going to go sleep. And of all days, you don't need to go to sleep today, for real. Romans 10, it's been a couple of weeks. You ready? Everybody Ready? Romans 10, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here. Well, the last time we were here was two weeks ago, and we introduced verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. I made a statement. Evangelism is coming in our text. We spend a lot of time on the sovereignty, election, predestination, foreknowledge of God. Now, we don't back up and retreat, retreat from any of those things. And some people hear all of that and think, well, then I guess we don't do anything. Evangelism's coming. It's not today. But it's coming. As I say that sentence, first of all, I want to ask you, do you even know what I mean when I say evangelism? Not out loud, but would you in your mind put a definition? What is evangelism? Evangelism, in just a simple way, is where we take the message of Christ to those who've not yet heard it or to those who haven't heard it enough to where they go to Christ for salvation. We've we got to go to them. We've got to take the message. We don't just come here and only celebrate each week. We need to be evangelistic. It's coming. You understand? We've got to take our message out. Today is not that emphasis. You say, what's today? Today is the content of our message. You need to listen today. Man, I'm already getting loud. Got to calm down. It is urgent. And if you're sitting there saying, I know this text, boy, the unsaved, they really need to listen today. They need to listen. Everyone needs to listen. I don't want any Christian coming in here next week and seeing, oh my goodness, we need to be evangelistic. We need to take the message. Jeff, would you tell us what the message is? That's today. 
So just in case you feel the need to be evangelistic next week, you need to be listening today so that you can tell people how to come to Christ. And if you're not yet a Christian, you need to listen with everything that's in you. Today is urgent. I hope today is the most simple message. Maybe of all the ones we've been in Romans, there's a tricky section, verses 6 and 7 and 8. But boy, after that, I hope it's the simplest of all. You need to hear. Those of you who say, I'm already a Christian, I know the message. If today someone's life, their eternity, depended on what you said to them with an open Bible, where would you take them? Listen, where would you take them? Think of it. You say, I know where I'd take them. I'd take them right to my phone and say, hey, Jeff, Brandon, Danny, uh, Don, Quincy, I got somebody. Uh, Yeah, they're ready to get saved. When can you meet with them? I've only been a Christian 12 years. I don't know what to tell them. Jeff being mean today. I'm trying to help you guys. I'm trying to help them. It is not about call Jeff and Brandon and, and one of the elders and one of the deacons and one of their wives and one of the Sunday school teachers. Hurry, can you talk to someone? Listen today so that you can preach this message. I want to give you a little hint. Where we finished in Romans 9 verses 30 through 10, 13, you can't find a better passage than what we're looking at. So really, listen, don't just be a receiver. Let's go be reproducers. Let's be reproducers. But if you don't know Christ, you need to listen. Would you look with me? We're going to start in chapter 10. We're going to review, not review, but reread verses 1 through 4. And 4 actually picks up. We're going to let it overlap and be this week's text as well. If I could just remind you this, chapter 9 finished with Paul saying, here's his conclusion. This this blows my mind still. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what has happened. Gentiles, us, who were not even seeking righteousness, end up getting righteousness because they just received it by faith. But over here's these Jews, bless their hearts, they're working and working and they pursued. They weren't pursuing, they end up getting it. But the Jews... They're pursuing a law of righteousness, but they don't get it because they don't understand that it's by faith. And this burdens Paul. We noted a couple of weeks ago that three things need to precede evangelism. One is a burden for people. Number two is prayer to God for people. And then number three is an awareness, a knowledge of God and of people. Paul had it all. Verse number one. Brothers. My heart's desire and prayer is burden and is prayer. Man, we spent a long time on prayer two weeks ago. My heart's desire and prayer to God. Paul's like, I'm talking to God for them, specifically for them. It's the Jews, his people. It's very specific. He has a specific request. Here it is. God, I'm asking you for them that they may be saved. Lord, I want you to save them. And he gives a personal testimony that Paul knows firsthand because he is a Jew. He was just like them. And frankly, he's received the brunt of their zeal against him because he dared to follow this man named Jesus. And the Jews to this day do not accept Jesus. Verse 2, about the Jews, Paul says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They're zealous. Man, they hate things that God hates. And they love things that they think God loves. 
Here's the only problem. It's zeal not according to knowledge. Listen, misguided zeal is extremely dangerous and destructive. He says it's not according to knowledge. Verse 3, for being ignorant. That's not name calling, that's just being factual. They're ignorant, they're lacking knowledge of what? Being ignorant of the righteousness of God. They don't know God and they have no clue how righteous He is. Listen, He's more righteous than you think He is. And I broke verse 3 down into A, B, C. A, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. B, seeking to establish their own implied righteousness. A and B are simultaneous Why are you guys trying to establish your own righteousness and promote that to God? The reason is they don't know God's righteousness. If they had a clue how righteous God was, they wouldn't be doing this. But the problem is they continue to be ignorant of God's righteousness because B keeps A going. But really the worst part is verse C. They did not submit to God's righteousness. God literally says, here's the righteousness, and when they hear what it is, they reject it. They stiff-arm true righteousness. Listen, when you reject verse 4, you've rejected righteousness. When you reject Christ, if you're here today, you say, I'm not on my way to heaven. Or if you're here today and you think you're on your way to heaven in some other way, but you've rejected Christ, you've not accepted Him, you've rejected righteousness. Verse 4, they didn't submit to God's righteousness For Christ, oh, this is a key verse. It has a lot of facets to it. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So many ways we can read that verse. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And he switches gears, verse 5. For Moses writes, so Moses is speaking. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Oh, here's a category. All right, here's an attempt. There's righteousness based on the law. God gives us these laws. We're going to keep them and do them, and then I'll be righteous. Verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that technique. Here's what he says. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And we hear that, and that initially sounds like, that's, that sounds like some good news. That's good news. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. And I believe that means they'll live on and on. and Eternal life. It's awesome. What a great opportunity, verse 5 sounds like. Verse 6 totally switches to this other approach. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith, if you'll remember what we said about the end of chapter 9, but the righteousness based on faith, this whole approach says, here's where it gets tricky. Here's what it thinks. Do not say in your heart, Jeff, don't you say it. Don't think it. Verse 6, this whole other approach, righteousness based on faith, says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Who will ascend? Who will take the journey? Who will do all that it takes? That's an Old Testament quote out of Deuteronomy. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the New Testament times, 1,500 years later, puts a New Testament application on that into parentheses. You guys are looking at it. Who will ascend into heaven? Don't think that. Who's going to ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. 
What do I have to do to bring Christ down? How far do I have to go to make this a reality? Verse 7, or don't think this, who will descend into the abyss? How wide of an ocean, how deep of an ocean, how far, how wide the desert, how far do I have to go? Verse 7, that is, New Testament application, to bring Christ up from the dead. Back to the start of verse 6, the righteousness by faith, based on faith, doesn't say those things. Verse 8. But what does it say? What does this other approach say? Here's what it says. Listen, 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 listen. Watch, watch. It's important. The righteousness based on faith says the Word. The Word. The Word is near you, in your mouth. It's near, it's close, it's, it's even, it's in your mouth. It's right there. And it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, Paul says. And in those classic verses that many of us have used to try to lead a person to Christ, because, I'll look at them fresh, because if you confess, verse 8 says the word is near, in your mouth, it's right there in your heart, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I want to ask you, have you ever done that? Don't answer out loud. Have you ever done that? Riley did that today. Riley did that today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what has to happen. Verse 10 actually gives the chronological order of that happening. Verse 9, here's what must happen. Verse 10, here's the order in which it will happen. Verse 10, for with, here's how it happens, with the heart one believes and is justified. God declares that person righteous. They believe. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, he literally just quoted this on my, in my Bible. It's right across the page in the other column at, in, in Isaiah. The last half of verse 33 in chapter 9. He just quoted this. Here he comes again. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Greek is meaning us Gentiles. For the same Lord is Lord of all, Jew and Greek. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Bestowing his riches on all who call. Will everyone call? Everyone will not call. But everyone who does call, he bestows his riches on them. They'll not be ashamed. Verse 13, 13, that famous verse out of Joel. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's our message today. You have to have righteousness to go to heaven. Listen, you have to have righteousness. You have to have righteousness to go to heaven. You cannot get to heaven without righteousness. You must have it. Now, people use two ways to try to gain righteousness. Two main ways. Number one, we found in verse number five. It's righteousness attempted by working for it. Righteousness attempted by works. Look at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness 
that's based on the law. He writes about that kind of righteousness that's based on the law. Here's what he says. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. Again, that sounds like great news. That's a wonderful opportunity. It sounds like, back up to verse number 2. For I bear them, Paul says, I bear my kinsmen, the Jews. I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of, of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. Well, here's one method that we're going to put under the microscope just for a moment. You ready? Those who do the commandments shall live by them. Is that a good thing? Sounds like a wonderful opportunity. Here's the only problem. Only problem with this method. Here's the commandments. Hear them. Understand them. Wow, some of them are even written on our heart. I don't even have to be told by God. I know that I feel weird and wrong when I even think about doing that. God put that in me. He gave me parents to tell me that's wrong. He gave us the Bible to show what he likes and dislikes. And all I got to do is live that. Here's the only problem. Everybody's already failed. Everybody's already failed. If this is your method, 100% of the people who've ever lived outside of Jesus himself have failed in that method. Verse 5's method sounds like an opportunity But it's a dead end. I'm going to give you three reasons. I don't have time to labor in these. I'm going to hit them fast. You ready? Why have we all failed? Number one, we all sinned when Adam sinned. Romans chapter number five. And by the way, that means we are born with a sin nature. You say, I wasn't back there when Adam sinned. Romans chapter five. Let me find that. Romans five. Look at verse number 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man's name was Adam, And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. I can't re-preach that section, but the Bible is clear. All of us were seminally, in in Adam's semen, biologically, you were there. You say, I wasn't born until 15, 35, 75 years ago. You were there in Adam, and when he sinned, you sinned. And that's that's why the Bible says, past tense, all have sinned. That's why the death rate's 100%. We're born with a sin nature. Second reason we know that this method of law righteousness will not work. Number two, we all have sinful appetites. Everybody in here, you have a sinful appetite. Say, what does that mean? Real simple. We like sin. We like it. We're drawn to it. We're prone to it. Let's just be honest, guys. It's fun to gossip. It's fun to kind of slander somebody. It's, the lies just flow once they get rolling, don't they? Isn't that amazing? And desire leads to more desire, more and more. Here's the problem. We like sin, and the very desire itself for sin, itself is sin. The desire for sin is sin. You see Romans 6, verse 12 on the screen. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We like it, it's in us. Third reason, why is the method of law, righteousness, not an effective method? Because we've already sinned in Adam. We have sinful appetites, and the very appetite and desire for sin itself is sin. Number three, in case there was any doubt, we've all committed specific acts of sin. Every one of us have already committed specific acts of sin. Verse number 23 of, of Romans, Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John. Could we have that on the screen as well? Look at 1 John. If we say, here's what the Bible says. If we say we have not sinned. Oh, no, no. I've never sinned. By the way, I've met somebody like that before. We make him a liar. God says we've sinned. If we say, no, I've never sinned. We make God a liar. His word's not in us. 
You say, how's that even possible? I'm really, really good, and I'm a lot better than somebody else that I know. In fact, you may say, I'm better than most people I know. Here's the problem. James chapter 2, verse number 10. Here's the issue. For whoever keeps the whole law, pause, think about that. Whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. Whoever keeps the whole law. Can I use a hypothetical with you guys? This is hypothetical. This is really hypothetical. There's, there's a girl. And she's 17 and she's just got her driver's license. I mean, this is the best person you've ever known. She's never sinned in her life. Never thought a bad thought. Just, just good. Just constantly doing good. Hypothetical. She's a really good girl. I mean, for her whole life. Nothing. But one day she comes home and her mom's birthday and so she swings by Hallmark and picks up a card and goes by the florist and picks up some flowers. And she's going to surprise her that night. But she's running a little late and mom says, hey, you're running late. Where are you? And she don't want to spoil the surprise. And so she says, I'd have gas in the car. And so I swung by and got gas in the car. Because you don't want to spoil the surprise. Listen, that girl, and that's all she ever does her whole life. You see what I'm saying? The best of the best. One time, just a little white one to keep the surprise. She is literally, because of that, has broken the whole law and is on her way to hell the same as another dude over here who every day blasphemes the name of God, every day lies, every day commits adultery. What? Let's just be crazy. Every day he kills somebody. And you're like, that little girl is not as guilty as that guy. In the laws of God, she's just as guilty. It is one law. She broke it in one point. He shatters it every day. So question. Have you ever lied? If you just said, I don't think I've ever lied. Ouch. You blew it. (laughs) Have you ever blasphemed? You're like... What's blasphemy? Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Lord or God or Jesus. And you you sit there and say, but I didn't mean it. That's what in vain means. Have you ever one time, ever one time, have you ever dishonored father and mother? I always obey father and mother. Have you ever dishonored your father? You ever rolled your eyes? You ever huffed and sighed? You ever slightly slammed the door just a little more than normal? You're like, come on. The way you're making it sound, nobody is there. You're getting the picture. No one has a chance with this law method of righteousness. You ever coveted? What's that? Desire what God hasn't given you to have. Back to chapter 10. Romans 10. Number two. There's righteousness received by faith. So over here's one technique. We all have to have righteousness, so this is the law method. Big problem. Everybody's always failed. Everybody's already failed. We completely failed. We were born in failure. We love sin. That itself is sin. We commit all these acts of sin. It's not like the little hypothetical girl. No, we, we black. we're much closer to the man I described than we are to the girl I described. We're much closer to her, him. So number two, righteousness received by faith. Look at verse four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Skip down to verse six. But the righteousness based on faith says, here's a whole different attitude, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, 
That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Don't even think that way. Don't think that. The the righteousness based on faith method does not think that way. It goes back to verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. Now, it's going to be a little bit of time before you see this complete note. But I want you to go ahead and start writing the next note. I'll just give it to you verbally. See the word end? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That word end is key. It can be taken. That word can mean a couple of things. If you want to write it down, number one, it can mean fulfillment. So we'll hold off on putting it on screen. But if you want to go ahead and start writing it, because I want you to see this. For Christ is the end, the fulfillment of the law. The word end can mean fulfillment or it can mean termination. Termination. Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the termination of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the termination of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes if they're in that category. So Jeff, what do you think it means? Guys, I honestly, I think arguments could be made for each of these. Are you listening? I'm going to offer ways to look at verse 4. Here's one. Get it. Today is a very important day. If you're, not, if you're not yet a Christian, today is extremely important. If you're already a Christian, verse 4 is key. You need to kind of get this truth. What is verse 4 saying? Could it mean this? Christ is the fulfillment of the law by his sinless, perfect life. The law demands perfection. We failed. But Christ, Jesus Christ, is perfect. He perfectly fulfills the law. Here's another way of looking at it. Christ's cross work fulfilled all the prophecies. What we call the law, guys, watch this. I don't, I'll not be exact, but somewhere around from, as I kind of split my Bible there, uh, that's the end of Matthew, kind of the beginning. Yes, so this is the Old Testament, and this is code for all of the law here. Here's the New Testament. This didn't really exist. It was just being written. So all this section, we could sum up and say there were these prophecies about Christ, and he fulfilled the prophecies, literally his cross death, in one 24-hour day, 20 different prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Christ. See, he's fulfilling the prophecies of the law. Here's another one. Watch, this is important. The law of God says if you break the rules, death must occur, punishment for the sin. Christ fulfills the punishment the law demanded by him taking our punishment on the cross. You say, Jeff, do you think those are what verse 4 is talking about? It is his sinless life. It's, it's his fulfilled prophecies. It's him satisfying the, de- the demands of the law. Could be. But I think it's maybe more than anything, it's that word termination. Read it that way. Verse 4, Christ is the end. He's the termination of the law for righteousness To everyone who believes. I'm going to invert the order. Watch verse 4. For everyone who believes, Christ is the termination of the law for righteousness. Say, Jeff, you've still lost me. Let's write it. Belief in Jesus means that you and I get to terminate, end, stop our futile attempts to be good enough to go to heaven. We can stop it. Literally, when someone believes... It's Christ, belief in Christ is the end of your efforts. It's the termination of your efforts to try to be good enough because they've just been futile anyway. You've already blown it. You sinned in Adam. You like sin. You commit specific acts of sin. You've already blown it, so stop trying to earn your way to heaven. You can just terminate that if you'll make your way to Christ. Next week's kind of a pretty big football game. They call it the Super Bowl, right? 
I assume, unless the defenses are off the charts good, somebody's going to make a touchdown. Other than Forrest Gump, I've never seen one person get to the end zone and just keep on going. Only Forrest. Because when you get to the end zone, you don't need to keep going. No, I want to pad my stats through the parking lot. You guys tracking me? No, this here's all, just once you broke this plane right here, you listen carefully. The law of God is meant to point you to Christ to show you I can never do all of these things. And it points you to Christ. And if the law is so heavy and it makes you desperate, I need Christ to fulfill the law. If you can scratch and claw and make your way to Christ, you say, that sounds like what verse 6 and 7 is. Please get what I'm about to say. This is important. The struggle to get to Christ is not trying to be good enough. It's to work your way through religion and stop trying to be good enough just so you get to Christ. And if you make it to Him, He is the end. He's like, he's like over here. The law's been pointing you here the whole time. I'm the end zone. Just get right here and rest. Let me do it all. I'm the end. I'm the fulfillment. I terminate your efforts because they don't do any good anyway. If you're sitting there saying, is this preacher telling us not to try to live moral lives? No. I'm trying to tell you don't live a moral life or attempt to live a moral life with any inkling inside of you that says, because this is going to earn me points with God. Terminate that. Now verse 6. I'm not going to get bogged down because it's confusing. Look at verse 6. The righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, and then Paul pulls these quotes from the Old Testament. It's the book of Deuteronomy. Just look right here right quick. Israel's on the plains. They're getting ready to cross Jericho. They're going in to conquer the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is in that 39th and 40th year of the wilderness wanderings. They're ready to go in. And here's what what Moses is telling them. You have the commandments. You don't have to have a mentality of we need to go find and hunt. What is it that pleases God? We need to climb high and, and geographically make our way to God. Or morally, we've got to make our way to God. Or geographically, we've got to go down and, and resurrect Christ and do all the work. What he's saying is you don't have to do that wondering what is it that pleases God. What effort do I have to do? You already have it. It's right here. It's very, very close. It's not far away. It's near. Look at verse 6. The righteousness based on faith method says, do not say in your heart. It's about the heart. Don't say this. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Saving faith. You say, Jeff, what is it? Saving faith realizes, watch, God, God, you got to come to me. I can't get to you. This righteousness by law is not attainable. If I'm going to be saved, you've got to come to me. God, I can't like ascend into heaven and, and, and bring Christ down. And Lord, I can't descend into the deepest oceans or, or down into the place of departed souls. And, and I can't go down there and resurrect Christ. I don't have the ability. But Lord, those things have to happen. Christ must come to earth. He must die on a cross. He really dies. And he must come back to life and be resurrected. But I can't do any of that. You have to do all of it. Saving faith realizes God does that. One more time, verse 6. And I'm moving to the third point today. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart. Do not say in your heart. I'm going to talk about the heart more in a moment, but listen. It's all about your heart. It's all about, hey, individual, listen, individual, listen. You say, your testimony is I'm already a Christian. Listen. What are you trusting? Because I promise you this, God sees what you're trusting. You may think you're trusting something. He knows if you're really trusting. He knows what you're trusting. I'm going to try to illustrate it this way. Last week, in our new members class, I told them something that probably a lot of people in my position wouldn't do. I'm going to tell you, I told them, I said, guys, if you'll notice, we don't rush to have new member classes all the time. We wait a little bit, and it builds up, and then we have one. We don't push all the time, like, oh, there's somebody coming. You're going to be a member? Hey, you're going to be a member? When are you going to be a member? I don't do that. Because down here in the good old South, as I talk to people and have conversations, one thing I found is when I ask people what they're trusting, why do they think they're going to heaven? It's often, not always, often, not very long, but they start talking about baptism and they start talking about where they're a church member. I told the group, 20-some people last week, I said, if there's anything, anything in you that has the hint of thinking, I need to be a member of a church, I need to be a member of Graceview, just to kind of make sure... I'm on my way to heaven. I said, if there's a hint of that, do not become a member of Graceview or any other church ever. Don't do it just to make sure you're not trusting it. And if, they, if anybody heard that and thought, but what if I need to? No, you've got to stop thinking that. That's what you've got to stop thinking. Literally, I'm telling them, don't do it just to make sure you're not trusting it. You're like, this dude tells people not to join his church. I say join the church, but unless you're trusting that, don't get baptized. If anything in you says, I need to get baptized just to seal the deal, don't do it if there's a hint in your heart of trusting it. There's this faith method. Faith method. So what is faith? What is faith is our third thought. What is it? Look at verse 8. What does it say? The faith method. Look at what all's in here. Look at the clues. If you're tempted to stray in your thoughts right here, you need to dial them in. The Bible says, the faith method says the word. You're going to see the word word twice. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You're going to see the word heart Four times. That is the word of faith. You're going to see faith and trust, interchangeable, believing. Six or seven times you're going to see this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess, you're going to see the word confess, confession twice. This is what faith is about. Here's our clues. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. I told you there's one of those words. Trust, believe. Believe in your heart. I think I've already said the word heart's going to be four times. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call. Uh-oh, call's going to come in. All who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's our clues. What does faith have to do with? It has to do with words, the heart, confession, believing. It has to do with Jesus. It has to do with calling. So what is faith? Look at verse 8. Verse 8. This is one of my most... I have about 21 paragraphs in this message. This one's one of the most important ones. But what does it say? What does this faith method of righteousness say? The Word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Now, without getting too technical, watch. I illustrated a while ago the children of Israel at the Jordan getting ready to go in... They would have no reason to wonder, I wonder what pleases God. Moses, back in Deuteronomy, his point is, you need not wonder, it is near. You already have the commandments. God has specifically given the Old Testament to the Jewish nation. We have the words of God. We don't need to wonder. Boy, I wonder, we need to go in search of God's will. You don't have to wonder, it's close. In fact, uh, Moses says, it's even in your mouth. Listen to me this morning. You here today, Paul is bringing that as an application to today, and here's his message. If you, not like the Jews who are wondering, wonder what the commands of God is. Moses says, we have the commands of God. If you're here today and you're thinking, I don't think I'm going to heaven, I wonder what you have to do. I just wish I could get it. I just don't understand. What do you really have to do? I'm going to tell you, it's close to you. It's close to you. It's very near. It's in your own mouth. It's in your own mouth. Leave that text right there. Look at the screen. If I walked off the stage right now, is there even one person, if you can read, if you can't read, if you've listened and haven't fallen asleep or been on your smartphone thinking about something else, if you've listened... It's near you. It's already in your mouth. It is very close. You know the answer. No one here ever need think, I never knew how to get to heaven, God. No one here. By the way, those of you that have been here for the book of Romans, it's been in chapters 1 all the way through. You've been hearing it every week. You say, I haven't been here for those. If you're only here this morning, or you only hear this by recording, you have no excuse. No one can say it. Now listen, don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. How does somebody go to heaven? Don't say it out loud. It's in your mouth. Look at the screen. Well, huh, the Bible says, Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, preacher, I'm just not seeing it. It's in your mouth. You may say, I don't know what that means, but everybody in here can say, Apparently, you have to call on Jesus by faith. You knew the answer. So if you reject Jesus in verse 4, you reject righteousness, and you face God, you can never say, I didn't know. Oh, you know, it's near. It's literally on your own lips. If you've paid attention, you can figure it out. Verse 9, let's get specific very quickly. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
What does confess mean? If you want to write it down, confess means to agree, to agree, to say the same thing as. Confess means to agree, say the same thing. So what does that mean? The Bible says in verse 9, if, you say, I want to know how to go to heaven. Here it is. If you confess, agree, say the same thing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It means to agree. Watch. God, here, here's confession. God, you, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, You both say, I'm a sinner, and you both say, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the only Savior. Watch, I confess, you're right. He is the Lord. He's the only Savior. He is God the Son. You're right, I confess. That's how you get saved. You say, so all I've got to do is say what you just say, what you just said. Hang on. Can we have James 2.19 on the screen? You believe that God is one. Okay, I believe there is a God, and I believe there's only one God. There's not ten gods or fifty gods. And even though He's Father, Son, and Spirit, it's one God manifesting Himself in three persons. I don't understand all that, but I know it's just one God. Watch what the Bible says. You do well. You believe there's one? You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now listen. MacArthur points out that the devils are monotheistic, They know who God is. They lived in heaven. They believe in heaven. They believe in the Bible. They believe in hell. They're creationists. The devils are creationists. They're not knuckleheaded evolutionists. The devils know these things. They acknowledge them. But watch, they are not trusting them. They are not surrendering. Yes, we know he's Lord, but we're fighting against him. That's why they will not go to hell. That's why they will not go to heaven and they will go to hell. So you say, Jeff, what is confession? Confession. It's not just mere acknowledging facts. And next, it's not merely words. Okay, Jesus is Lord. Confession springs from a belief. Check yourself, Christian. You say, I'm a Christian. Check yourself. Confession springs from a belief that is so strong, I have to say it. I have to express it. I need to go public. I'm asking everybody here today. Don't answer out loud, but answer within yourself. Has there ever been a time where you have said, Jesus is not only the Lord, Jesus is my Lord. I have a conviction, a deep-seated conviction that has to come out. Jesus, you are my Lord. You're my boss. You're my master. You own me. I confess you are the Lord and my Lord. Have you ever done that? If you've never done that, you're not a Christian. One more thing from MacArthur. He writes the following. Get this. I want want y'all to help me. He says that Jesus in the New Testament, and I don't don't know, these are his facts, so I I haven't validated them. He says Jesus is called Savior some ten times in the New Testament. Savior. Ten times. Jesus is the Savior. Does anybody want to guess? I'll take guesses. How many times Jesus is called Lord Anybody want to guess? All you can do is be wrong. I expect you to be wrong. Take a shot. 50, 300, 200, I heard 500. Hey, do I have another hand over here? No, I'm good. Anyway, listen, 700 
times. Watch. Watch this. Christians, this is for us. Ten times Jesus is called, according to his numbers, ten times he's called Savior, seven hundred times he's called Lord, and every now and then they overlap in the same passage. Guess which one's first? Jesus, the Lord and Savior. Christian, whether you knew it or not, you should have known it. When you took Christ as your Savior, you took him as your Lord. He is not Savior without being Lord. That moment of deep conviction, you're my Lord and my Savior, and you get saved in that moment, what you're saying is, I'm surrendering to you. He'll not be Savior without also being Lord. How is it with you and your Lord today? You say, I've confessed it. Does your life look like Jesus is your Lord? You're like, yeah, in about 80% of my life, it's pretty evident Jesus is Lord. Not good. Because this is a life-changing, confession is a life-changing moment. Always goes with true salvation. One more thought in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'll go ahead and tell you, you say, I'm not a Christian. What should I expect? It'll change your life. That's what you should expect. If it doesn't change your life, you didn't get it. Amen, Jeff. If it doesn't change your life, you didn't get it. You're right. Amen. Uh, That's what the Bible says. That's true. Okay, thank you. Verse, sorry, that was corny. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Can I just tell you guys something? I've never struggled with that. You may be here this morning and say, Jeff, I really struggle with the whole Jesus coming back from the dead. If he really did die, I just don't see how he came back from the dead. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I've never struggled with that. Here's why. I believe the Bible account that God spoke everything into existence out of nothingness. There was nothing. He spoke. He wanted it. He spoke. Boom, it happened. I don't think raising Jesus from the dead was a big, sweaty operation for God. It just... It's just not a struggle for me. It never was. I guess my parents instilled belief in Scripture in me. Barclay writes the following. It's in your handout. The resurrection was an essential of Christian belief. The Christian must believe not only that Jesus Christ lived. Yes, I believe Jesus lived. He's a historical figure. I really do believe it. You have to also believe that Jesus Christ lives. He not only must know about Christ, he must know Christ himself. He is alive. I have a relationship with him. That's what Christianity really is. So again, verse 9 and 10 are overlapping. One, verse 9 says what must happen. Verse 10 gives the order. Look at it again one more time. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11, I'm just going to touch it. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes, watch. Everyone who believes will not be put to shame. What does the word shame mean? Here is what it means. It means disappointed. I hate being disappointed. You ever been disappointed? It hurts. It's bothersome. And it's disappointing. Guys, listen. Christian, can I encourage you just for a moment? Every one of you who've ever put your faith and trust in Christ, I'll promise you when you get to the next life, I'll promise you, based on the testimony of God, and God is a trustworthy, truthful God, when you get to heaven, I'll promise you'll not get there and go, really, this, this is it? 
No one will do that. You will not be put to shame. You will not be disappointed. But listen who is disappointed. I'm going to tell you the person that is the most disappointed. The most disappointed person is the person who tried the hardest to be good enough to get to heaven. So I'm going to put it ranks. Here's somebody living life and sinful and they go to hell. And here's this person and they're a little better than them. And here's this person this one. I don't know if they've already lived. I don't know if they're on the earth right now. But somebody, maybe still to come, somebody's going to try the hardest that anyone ever has to be good enough for God and they're going to be so disappointed. It will be the most shameful for them. Verse 12 and 13. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction. Jeff, how would you summarize verse 12 and 13? Your time's gone. What would you say? Here's what I would say. Watch. Genuine saving faith never comes to God with credentials. Now, Lord... I'm a white dude. I've been faithful in my marriage. I've gone to church. I'm the pastor at the church, in case you didn't know that. I'm the pastor. We give this much. Stop doing this. Saving faith never approaches God with credentials. Because it knows God's only looking for one credential. What's God looking for? Faith in Jesus. That's it. It's all. The Jews hated that because the Jews relied on their credit. But we're the Jews. Watch Galatians chapter 3. Here's the spirit of the New Testament. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Watch this. It's not that when a person comes in this church that if someone's Jews, a Jew, they put their faith in Christ. They don't stop being Jewish. And as a Gentile, I didn't stop being a Gentile. And as a male, I don't stop being a male. And a woman can't say, hey, I guess I'm no longer, according to this verse, supposed to be a a male. No, all this is saying is I'm not relying on that. Does the church typically have more women? Yes. But if women think for a moment, hey, God, I'm a woman, i got an inside track, right? Or a guy thinks, hey, I'm a man, I have an inside track. You know, men are over women. No, it's not. That doesn't exist. The right attitude says, well, wow, there's no hierarchy. There's no rank. You mean women aren't below? You mean back in the New Testament church, if someone literally was a slave and someone over here was a rich person that has their freedom, in the church, there is no rank. That's all thrown out the window. It doesn't count. Your credentials aren't better than theirs. We're all just sinners desperately needing saved because we're impure and we need a Savior to save us. That's the right attitude. So, I'm going to get technical for a second. Technical, technical, technical. Ready? And some of you are going to jump on these two questions and you're going to dissect it. That's good. I want you to. Here it comes. So what exactly... Say, Jeff, you've been preaching on it. It's faith. Hang on. What exactly is it that saves us? All you theologians, all you budding theologians, all you church members, here's your question. What exactly, all you who are not yet Christians, hear this, what exactly is it that saves us? Here's my question. Is it faith in the person of Jesus? 
Or is it faith in the gospel? Is it faith? What saves me? Am I, I can't see Jesus. Is it faith in Jesus the person? The person of Christ? Or faith in the promises of God? Is it a person or is it promises? Yes. Because Jesus is the promise. If you want to write it down, here's how we get saved. We are saved by believing in Christ, the person, and by believing in his cross work. You say, how do we get saved? It's all one, but I'm going to break it into kind of three things. It's faith. I believe in Christ the person and his work on the cross that was for me. But, here's the kicker, we must also trust God's clear promises. You must trust, because I never would have heard about Jesus outside of the Scripture and the Gospel. So here's where it really starts. We hear the good news. We believe God's promises. By the way, this is called God's Word. You said, I thought it's called the Bible. Well, that's one of the names. The Bible means book. The book. The book right here. This is God's Word. This is the book above all the other books. This is the main one. This is God's Word. God makes promises. You say, like what? Well, look at them. Verse 11. Here's what God promises. Scripture, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Here's, here's the key. If you believe God, you will believe Christ and His cross work. All at the same time. I've seen it. We've got a pool in our neighborhood. Dad in the water. Come on, honey. Come on. Daddy will get you. Uh, and they want to. And they get right on their edge. But boy, something happens. Those thighs just lock up. Don't you believe, Daddy? Yes. Do you believe Daddy would lie? No. Then jump. They'll say all day long they believe Daddy, but I'm going to tell you, when they believe Daddy, what happens? Here they go. When you believe God, you say, I'm not a Christian in here today. When you believe God, you will trust Christ. You will be saved. If you are holding back, you say, I'm not yet a Christian. I've heard this all before. I'm not yet put my faith in Christ. I'm going to tell you why you have held up. Because you don't believe God. You think God's lying. You either think Jesus isn't enough, or you think you can be good enough, or you think the whole thing's a hoax, and there is no heaven, and there is no hell, and you're just going to cease existing. And what's going to happen to you, Luke? If you would, turn to Luke 13. Two brief passages in Luke. If you're doing the readings with me through the New Testament this year, we started in Luke. I encourage you to keep doing that. Probably going to hear references wherever we're reading at that month coming into my sermons. It just goes with it. Luke 13, verse 22. Luke 13, 22. Watch it. It's important. He, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying through toward Jerusalem. He's headed toward Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, got a question. Will those who are saved be few? Will it only be a few? He said to them, strive. You got to work. Work what? Work to be good enough? No, you got to work through all the religion. You got to cut through all of that. 
You've got to strive to not try to be good enough. Verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Jesus is the narrow door. Watch verse 24. For many, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Because when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Come on. We were with your people. We came to the 9 o'clock fellowship. We had the coffee and the snacks. I listened to all the teaching. Come on, let me in. Verse 26. We ate. We drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. The Bible is true. This is going to happen. Many, not a few. Somebody here today, this is going to be you. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and it will be you. And gnashing of teeth, literally self-loathing. I hate myself. Why didn't I? That guy stood there and acted like a fool begging me. What is wrong? And you're going to try to get in and God's going to say, You're not part of the group. You're rejected. Leave us alone. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. Here's a fact. There is a window of opportunity to be saved. A lot of people blow off the window of time because they think, I got time. I'll wait. They take it for granted. They delay. Hearing the gospel counts as accepting it, right? I went down to the church. I listened. No, it doesn't count. Chapter 18 is the last thing. Chapter 18. Here it is. Verse 9. This is the last text, I promise. I shouldn't say that, but unless the Lord moves something, this is the last text. Verse 9. I don't want to lie. Prone to it, though. Not not perfect in that. Verse 9. Got to keep moving. He also told this parable... This sounds like Romans 10. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And you see what happens. They treated others with contempt. That always goes together. So what's the story? Here it is. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Watch. One not just respected, guys, literally the most respected. He's one of the 6,000 Pharisees, the most respected in the land. Tax collectors, you guys, our own people, work for the hated Roman government, our enemy. You work for them, you collect their money, and you tack on your own over the top of it. You cheat and swindle people out of their money. We hate you. You have the most respected, you have the least respected. This person's just a sinner. And this one is too, he just doesn't know it as his prayer illustrates. Jesus says the Pharisee in the temple, standing by himself, prayed thus. Guys, literally that phrase means this. He was not only standing by himself, he was only talking to himself. He wasn't really talking to God. Watch this prayer. You say, does anybody, Jeff, really do this? Oh yes, watch. God, I thank you. Oh, this sounds like a promising start. He's got thanksgiving in his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Extortioners, unjust, they're unjust, I'm not. Adulterers, or 
God, even like this tax collector, you see him over there, right? Thank you that I'm not like him. And now, after the Thanksgiving, a little information for God. God, in case you didn't know, I fast twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I get. So Jesus says he's over there praying by himself. But the tax collector, outcast, wicked dude, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. God, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm just a sinner, God. Would you please be merciful to me? This guy's over here praying, God, I thank you I'm not like him. And this guy's over here like, God, I'm not as good as him. Do you see it? Look at verse, verse 14. I tell you, Jesus, who's God, who's the final judge, says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm going to tell you guys, if there's such a thing as a sinner's prayer, you just read it. It's an attitude. It's an admission. God, I don't even want to look up. God, I'm just a sinner. It's an attitude. It's an admission. But then there's this request. Would you please be merciful to me? And had this been prayed after the cross, it literally would have said, God, please be merciful to me by letting Jesus save me from my sins. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you bow your heads this morning? Close your eyes. Please, no one looking around. No one looking around. If you've never received Christ's righteousness, listen like your life depended on it. Hey, Christian, listen. Listen like somebody's life depends on it. Do you know this message now? You say, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Listen carefully. If you've never received Christ's righteousness, you've heard what it takes. It's close. It's it's in your lips. It's in your lips. The question is, can you transfer it to your heart? You know the answer. The question is, will you be like the Jews who failed to surrender to the righteousness of God? Or will you you do this? Guys, listen. Right now. Right now. I've been praying. I've got three people I've been praying for by name. Some are here right now. What if you did this? I want to encourage you, literally just like the tax collector, Jesus is the judge. He says this attitude, this admission, and that request gets answered with salvation. Would something in you just right now, I don't even want to tell you perfectly, but just say something like, God, I am a sinner. That is me. You know I've sinned. I need your mercy, but I believe Jesus died on the cross. You said if I call, so I'm calling just in my soul. Would you do it right now? Would you do it right now? Talk to God. He, I promise, you, you cannot slip a thought by Him. He knows your thought. You don't have to move your vocal cords. Ask Him, would you do this? Say, God, I'm asking you to save me and, and, and I'm taking Jesus as my Lord. I don't even understand it all, but He's going to be my Lord today. Today. 28th of January. You've got to believe. You say, what if he won't? Then you're not believing God. Believe God's promise. Everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God promised, do it. Do it. Ask Him to save you right now. Christian, 